Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions of space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and in this episode, I'm joined by David Acquoyment, CEO of The Do Company, to talk about creating spaces that give people superpowers and companies agility. See, employees have never been more empowered to tell their companies what they want from their workplace like they are today. And when we have the choice, we're only going to work from the office if that's where we do our best work. So as space moves from product to service, it's crucial that we understand our end users, customers, and we put them at the center of the universe. In this episode, David and I discuss the ingredients of neuro-inclusive spaces, the difference between hypersensitive and hyposensitive people, and why this matters to creating a desired user experience. We learn about the most important work setting, and of course, how in the world David's company makes furniture for offices without having an office themselves. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you won't cover, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Now, this episode was recorded back in January, so you're going to hear a reference about snow last weekend. But to be fair, we just had some light snow this past weekend, so it could have been recorded yesterday. That's London for you. Now, let's go learn something. Welcome back to the Word Bull podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and this season, we're talking a lot about the customer experience of space as a service. When people have a choice of where they work, why are they going to choose to come into an office? Today, I'm joined by David Okoyman from Amsterdam over in the Netherlands. David is CEO of The Do Company and is on a mission to evolutionize work and learning space. He believes the challenges companies face today brought on by remote working and even co-working creates tremendous opportunities for commercial real estate to rethink how we arrange our operational spaces to help our customers do their best work. David's why, now I'm borrowing the term made famous from Simon Sinek, is to maximize the potential of both people and places. His MO is to create things which are ready to use but can be optimized by the user. And what I find interesting is that his company is all in on virtual working. They have no fixed offices and their team is spread across the globe. Do Company's first invention, the award-winning NookPod, is a neuro-inclusive space designed to improve well-being, communication, and privacy in open workspaces. And we'll talk about what this means shortly. Nooks are used in education, retail, events, healthcare, smart buildings, and more, and the company has made over 1,000 nooks and generated over 2 million pounds in revenue to date. And I love this next part. David says nooks are for the dreamers, disruptors, and quiet revolutionaries, a space where individuality is celebrated, creativity is encouraged, and everyone can unleash their potential. Okay, well, before we start sounding like an advertisement for Nook, welcome to the Work Bold podcast, David. Thanks very much indeed, Caleb. Great to be here. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us. I know you guys had some snow a couple of weeks in Amsterdam, and then you sent it over here to London, and we had some snow this past weekend. So I uh, really want to thank you for that. You're very welcome indeed. <laughs> Our pleasure. <laughs> Ten four. So, all right. So the first thing I want to talk about is your why. I'm curious to learn how your path brought you to this new mission. Sure, absolutely. I appreciate the the question indeed. So my why comes from, I guess, uh, my DNA is I'm a product designer, have been for many years, used to have a small design consultancy that provides services for others. And I have built and founded and sold uh, companies in the past and ended up in roles with very, very large organizations in a sort of a global product management sort of position and traveling the world, seeing literally thousands of workplaces, 
brought me to the conclusion that our workspace is uh, designed by extroverts for extroverts in a one size fits all type of uh, formulation. And forgive me for being uh, grossly generalized, but I need to generalize a little bit to be able to get to the point. And I felt that people of different types of brains working on varieties of different types of tasks, even at different times of the day, need their space to respond to them. They need their space to be able to cater for those different needs. So that might be the different need of the individual whose brain might be um, neurodivergent. It also means the different needs of somebody in a marketing team or a sales team compared to that of somebody in a finance team. And we rely on our buildings so heavily for such a huge percentage of our lives. I want to build, help corporate real estate build better buildings and better places to live and work in. Well, look, I've always have an appreciation for people in commercial real estate who think differently. And, you know, sometimes it can feel particularly on LinkedIn, like an echo chamber sometimes, but, but I always feel refreshed after talking with someone who has an eye on the future and really becoming a student to create a better world for all of us. And, and, uh, and I really like that you're a furniture company that's digital first, but I, but I have to ask, how do you make office furniture that facilitates productivity if you're not actually working in an office? <laughs> Great question. Absolutely spot on. And I uh, expect you might ask that question as many have. So it comes down to it comes down to this. And I think this has to do with my thinking as a product designer. I recognize that when you make product, it's it should never be considered to be finished the moment it goes out your door. So I created product called Nook, which is intended to be hacked, which is in, intended as a canvas on which to paint, if you will, for want of a better metaphor, your needs, the needs of the individual, the needs of the organization, the needs of the space. It's a hackable, modular, sustainable space that can be modified to what it needs to be based on whether that's an office in the current situation, a co-working in the current or future situation, or even a home uh, situation where uh, the flexibility and the focus on your home as a sanctuary have become front and center more than they ever were previously. So it's very much about providing platforms. I guess that's the way to see it. It's a physical platform for uh, digital and other types of integrations to be able to provide those services near and far uh, now and in the future. Mm. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, it sound, sounds amazing, but I'm going to just sort of, I'm going to boil this back down because there's a lot of like dreamy things in there, which, which I love, but I want, I want to talk practical terms for a moment, just, you know, because our audience um, made up of landlords and fund managers and agents and people in, in corporate real estate who are probably asking like, what the hell is he talking about right now? So if, what does this mean in practical terms? So what you're talking about then is the integration of digital services into physical product, into furniture. We call it furniture with a purpose. And digital services, I don't mean just the joined up digital world, but I also mean the personalization of the product to an individual's needs. And so we may get into this in a little bit more depth uh, later, but it's about 
figuring out what the formula is for an inclusive space, baking that into uh, a physical product, and then allowing either through third party, through integration with building management services, through, uh, through simply grafting on uh, third party uh, technology, taking that item, that physical item, and turning it into something that's connected, connected to uh, the internet, connected to the IoT, connected to an individual's requirements, tailoring that space, for example, to particular needs potentially around different types of minds, whether that might be introvert, on the spectrum, uh, dyslexia, somebody with ADHD. So baking those technology components inside to make that space suddenly become smart, responsive, tailored to individuals' needs and connected to the organization. Well, that's interesting. And I know um, I've said this a couple of times on a podcast before, and I'm just repeating uh, Anthony Slumber's quote about how uh, companies don't want an office, they want a productive workforce. And if we talk about um, everybody being productive outside of the office throughout the last year in this pandemic, why are they going to come back into an office? And it's only because they feel like the office is where they can do their best work for the type of work that they need to do when they're in the office. So um, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that it's important to make sure that the, the, the environment, which a big part of that environment is the actual furniture and the seating arrangements is you're saying it needs to be flexible and connected to be able to help someone and agile to be able to help someone specifically do their best work, no matter how their mind works. Exactly that. And to be able to evolve and grow and change over time, because I'm acutely aware that with the greatest will in the world, it's a difficult job for uh, a landlord. Um, to specify a space uh, that might exactly tailor itself to the particular needs of a particular tenant when an occupier, because you know different occupiers will have different needs, different profiles of organizations from an IT to uh, a marketing company to a co-working space will have a different profile of brands in that space, right? So it's not just about indeed tailoring the space uh, with uh, elements inside that are non-infrastructure and therefore hyper-flexible for now, for the medium and for the long-term future, um, but also allowing that element of hackability and tailorability over the lifetime of the space because you can't predict that upfront and you shouldn't be trying really to predict that upfront. The key to this is uh, agility and flexibility around uh, providing options, uh, choice for people. That's where you'll find your inclusivity and your productivity comes from in the space. So it reminds me, there's a, an article recently written by Lisa Picard over with um, EQ offices uh, in the US. And in her article, she makes the case for what she calls, um, <laughs> if I can pronounce this correctly, fidgetization, but <laughs> physical and digitizing it uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the office world. And the analogy she uses is Tesla and how Tesla, she bought a Tesla car seven years ago and today it's still the operating system of the car is still getting upgraded um, and, and customized to how she drives her car. And she's saying that the office world needs that. Are you saying that these Nook pods are that? Exactly that. That's exactly what I'm saying. Four years in now, we're still upgrading and providing additional services, new designs, new accessories, improvements to our customers who bought Nooks um, right back at the start in what was it, September 2016. So the whole idea um, for me around sustainability is not just sourcing responsibly 
and not just making something that's highly recyclable at its eventual end of life. I think those two are the bookends of that sustainability. But in between is longevity, but longevity, so durability, durability to last, but longevity on its own is, um, is insufficient without the ability to change and to be upgraded and updated. And so that's what indeed Nook is an ambitious attempt um, to achieve, is to achieve a physical item that can be, uh, can have digital crafted onto it and that can evolve over time and that doesn't need to be returned to base in order to be upgraded, that it's very easy to repair. In fact, there's a really interesting quirk about Nook that is always hidden. And in fact, I've only really started to have the opportunity to explore it. I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for over-engineering things. I'm always guilty of it. And one of the things we built into Nook was it's a symmetrical design. Why does that matter? So we've had a couple of occasions now where somebody has taken a real gouge out of the front of the product by carrying maybe a desk past it and really taking a good chunk out of the front of the product. And it really looks unsightly. So, of course, they were on to me for how, on to us how they could repair that. And we could send them a new part and they could easily repair it on site. Their facilities could swap it out. But what we were able to do with those guys in this instance was get them to take everything out of the product, turn it around 180 degrees and put everything back in again. So the front became the back and the back becomes the front. And so it looked brand new again. And we sent them up some uh, COVID screens and some uh, new accessories that we've put in there as well. And, uh, and, and there was a you know, great experience for everybody out of that. But that whole notion of being able to build in from the start changeability over time, I think that's something that's greatly missing. And if, if we're going to look at a world where we're investing in product that's not going to become obsolete in a short amount of time, and we're not going to get into a high consumption sort of turnover, you know, and items have value, then we need to be baking that kind of changeability, hackability, improvability, repairability into our product. So speaking of the product, I want to, I want to paint a mental picture um, for, for those listening right now. Um, can you describe what a, a nook looks like if I'm, you know, verbally, um, and, but then also can you talk about the, the elements that can be interchangeable and, and flexed or agile based on the extrovert or introvert or that neuro-inclusive aspect. Of course, sure. So to paint the basic picture to start with, imagine it like a, a little house. <laughs> imagine it like a little um, five-sided box with a roof, very important component that often gets forgotten because um, one of the ways to create intimacy and privacy around a space uh, is to remove this um, high ceiling uh, um, that creates a sort of sense that uh, people are in a spotlight, uh, that people can overhear them, that the space is not very intimate. So the three sort of cornerstones, I suppose, of Nook uh, originally were that the space should feel personal, that it should manage noise, and that you should be able to locally control light in a way that affects you but not other people. So it looks like a little house, got a gabled roof. It's you know approximately two meters wide, two meters uh, tall, with a variety of depths depending on how many people are going to go inside. And it's typically on wheels, heavy-duty lockable casters. So it's literally movable. And there's some really nice examples of how to create sort of permission signaling with a, a product like Nook by having it against the wall with an acoustic panel that echoes the shape of the of the Nook, and it might say something like 
please put me back here at the end of the day, right? Because it's not enough just to put these things in the space. You need to give people permission <laughs> to use them. So that's what it, it literally looks like. It comes in a range of finishes to match the environment, uh, typically white because most corporate real estate without, <laughs> without mm. going into interior design, well, uh, you know, white will fit. But it can be um, finished in uh, any number of sort of uh, any number of finish, so it'll, it'll match the environment. And then, in terms of neuroinclusivity, in terms of neurodiversity, uh, neurodivergent minds, the kind of components that we add to it—it's so beautiful. I've learned so much from working with others. That's very much my MO, right, is to recognize that I'm no expert in a lot of things. Uh, designer is known for being a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. You might have heard that expression before. I, like, I prefer to say jack of all trades, master of being a jack of all trades, <laughs> if I will, a little glibly. But so some of the things that we've learned from working with, for example, people who make sensory spaces for schools. So light can have a profound effect on your brain's ability to process information. And allowing people to tailor the light for their specific and particular needs can have an even more profound effect on that, for example, if you have dyslexia. So typically somewhere between green and purple on the spectrum, you'll find that an individual might be able to tailor the space and soak or immerse the space in a hue of color that will help them to process information better and prevent them from having a dyslexic attack. Um, I thought dyslexia was something that you just have and it's a flat sort of thing and not a, uh, a sine wave, but it, it goes up and down and you can help either to prevent a dyslexic attack from occurring or help someone to recover more quickly from one. You can help somebody with ADHD um, by putting gentle vibration into the seat so that the seat's moving and they feel then that they don't have to. You can put a mirror into the back wall, this is profound and so simple and cost effective. And that mirror can help somebody with autism who might find it very difficult to make eye to eye contact in the real world to instead be able to do so through a mirror and to engage with the space better. And I'm trying to understand this better myself. And the anecdote that was used with me was it's like the difference between the intensity of the real world and television. And so it's like watching the world through a TV, if you can look through a mirror. And so little superpowers like that can go a long way. If you're designing for extreme needs, you can really create solutions that benefit everybody. I love that you use the word superpowers because I think that often um, in in the office world, we are we are selling a commodity based on um, based on the features. Um, you know, flexibility being a feature or um, location being a feature, whereas really we need to be selling the superpowers. What does that space help you accomplish? And um, so going back to your example in this mental image and, and the, the neurodivergencies that you're supporting, um, are the nooks then, are they individual, meaning I, Caleb, when I come in, I have my nook. Or am I sharing that nook with other people so someone else can use it when I'm not there? How does that work? So that depends very much on the space. So, for example, if you're attending Bristol and Bath Science Park, for example, where they um, are early adopters of nook, they have uh, they have them in a tenant space and they've provided them in such a way that they're like a touchdown point for a temporary use. And the guidance which is provided inside, so anybody who uses it can see, is 
you know, this is intended for, um, for those moments when you need a little bit of quiet focus, get some deep work done or have a good conversation. Please limit your use to a maximum of, and then they say whatever they want, 45 minutes, two hours. But then in other examples, you might find that it's integrated with a booking management system. You'll be able to log on before you ever arrive at the space, check on the availability of a Nook, book it for you, for you and for your requirement, and then it'll, it'll welcome you when you arrive and you'll be able to, you know, near field or whatever it is, sort of tap in or whatever the system is being used in the space, tap in, acknowledge that you're there and it's yours for that period of time. And it'll, um, it'll flash and, and show itself as occupied both in the system and physically to anybody who's approaching. So when you step out, it remains yours until the end of your booking period. So very much it's a case of horses for courses. You can imagine uh, different uses in education compared to events, for example, compared to um, corporate workspace, compared to co-working space. And and you talk about the the lighting being uh, changed. Is that is that able to be changed uh, by the pe- different people that are using it throughout the day or the week, or is that uh, you pick the you know the, the the company picks a lighting setting and that's it for that particular nook? So in its basic form, we make it plug and play for the individual use of the pod. It is possible to integrate it into the building management system so that it can be controlled from elsewhere. But the recommendation is, and the whole idea is for the individual to be able to control it for themselves on the spot, in the pod, without having to download an app or do anything complicated, they get in, pick up a remote control and tailor the space to their needs and just their needs without affecting anybody else around them. And that's unique in that regards. And that's an important element, I think, about that tailorability because people won't tailor the space if it's going to affect others. And we're always constantly thinking about being judged and being conscious about being in a spotlight in the workspace. So that's why it's really important to, I think, to allow people to make those modifications without feeling like they're affecting anybody else. Okay. And we've obviously been talking about the individual nook, but you said earlier that there's also different sizes. You could have nooks for multiple people to be in at the same time. Yeah, and they're also modular from the point of view, and this is a bit of an outlier um, in terms of, you know, we don't see this happen very often, but it's starting to happen now more and more. They also fit together. So in order to get sort of, you know, hyper effective use out of your space, what you can do is you can have two person nooks, sort of a range of two person nooks, possibly an accessible one with no floor and table and what have you. So you can put in your own sit stand desk or ergonomic chair or wheelchair, possibly some of the single person pods that would act more as video conferencing spaces, for example, Zoom pods, as you might want to call them. But the idea is that these aren't fixed permanently in that location and not only used in the form that they're delivered to you. The idea is that, yes, you can specify them as a four person uh, or, or bigger pod, but why don't you take two person pods and put them together when you need them as a four? So that won't work for everybody. But the fact that you can do that means that, I mean, you know, the, you know, the idea around a, a meeting room, which is designed for X number of people, something like 90% of the time, it's not used for the number of people that it's designed for, right? Sure, it's an inefficiency. Sure. Absolutely. So imagine you could divide that meeting room into two or four, <laughs> and then they could be used as, you know, individual or two person spaces. And then you put them back together when you do actually have eight or 10 people who are getting together. And there's an interesting, it's, it's a little bit Google-esque to say this, but there's an interesting effect that occurs if people put a couple of pods together and make a meeting space for themselves. They're already collaborating. They've already achieved something together before they sit down to do it. So you built team building into this as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, well, th thank you. And I, know, I realize I got a little bit granular there with my questioning, um, but uh, I, I was just curious and I'm, I'm sure people were wondering. Um, and one more granular question and then we'll, we'll come back to the high level. Um, are these uh, nooks, are they, uh, and I'm just thinking from, from our perspective at, at Newflex and across the board, you know, our board locations, um, if we wanted to have those in our space, do we buy them um, and, uh, and they're ours and then we use them as we want to? Do we, do we, are they like, well, I'm going to say space as a service. Do, do, do we, do we pay a monthly fee for as long as we want them? How does that work? Because I could see the benefits of flexibility, uh, you know, giving bold superpowers and being able to um, save a lot of money on um, the infrastructure side of things by having these spaces that can be moved around. So how does that work? So right now you can buy them or rent them. Long term, the idea is to create Nook as, as, as part of space as a service. That's capital intense and that requires building uh, the organization and building our power up to a certain level to be able to support that. So by all means, let's let's call this a, a shout out for support and interested parties in that regard, uh, if I may. But, okay. So long term, okay. I very much do, thank you. <laughs> long term, I very much do see that um, X as a service is the way everything is going, including furniture. Just the same way cars did and the same way, you know, other services did and the same way the IT world did and data center services did, which is, a, a, you know, an area that I come from uh, as well in my past. So that's where I want to take it long term. Right now, I'm very enthused by global rollout programs with large corporates who are putting nooks into their workspaces ready for the new way of working, but also providing them to people to use leadership, you know, team for their homes uh, across the world, which is very interesting new development. Talking to a real estate organization that has 100, over 100 leisure centers and a number of golf clubs that is looking to build an element of co-work into those hospitality spaces, which I think is a natural evolution of the current circumstances. So there's a mix of models between um, buy rent and I think long term, possibly even getting to a um, pay based on uh, occupancy. But that's uh, that's a good bit down the road. OK. Okay. Well, th thank you for sharing that. So uh, now, now you've heard. So reach out to to David to help him realize that vision. If 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 you're agreeing, that's the way to go, which I think it is. Um, I have I have two more questions before we jump into the quick fire round uh, for you. And I'm actually, if I may, I'm going to do I'm going to combine these two questions in, mm -hmm. into one and, and let you answer how how you will. But the the first you know question was. Um, in regards to neuro-inclusive space, which you talk a lot about on your website, I'm just curious if you could share what the ingredients are of a neuro-inclusive space. Um, but obviously this last year has been different. You guys have been going since 2016. So what sort of changes have you seen you know, in light of the pandemic or even changes that you guys have made uh, in, in how people are going to interact and how, what we need as we return to offices, hopefully, post-pandemic? Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, second second question first. <laughs> okay. Sure. Um, you 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 spoke about it at the top of the conversation about our sort of commitment to uh, digital and remote, um, and that has absolutely seen us through this situation. I'm going to be deadly honest. If I had done the same that I had done previously and built an organization with offices and a manufacturing facility as I'd previously done. Um, I'm not sure we would have survived when everything dropped off a cliff from March last year. So we have a rental business where, where we hire nooks out to events. 
Um, 15 events booked in from March onwards just completely flatlined and our sales to workspace completely disappeared for a period of time and then eventually came back sort of around September onwards. So what I've learned and what I've seen since then, um, and I think this probably echoes a lot of what um, your guests on the pod have said in the past, and that's the accelerant that COVID has poured on things that were happening anyway. And one of the reasons that I started looking in the first instance is that I'm a big, 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 big believer in flex office, in co-working, in remote working, in work from anywhere. And there's a bit of a, little bit of a false dichotomy that's been uh, discussed in, um, in the world at the moment. Uh, and that is between work from the office and work from home. It's not work from the office and work from home, as I think you know, as much as anybody else probably listening, it's work from the office versus work from anywhere. And that anywhere now is I'm seeing real activation in that space. We're working with um, the Heritage Trust in the UK, helping to activate high street and rural areas, turn post office into co-working spaces, empty retail units. Meanwhile, letting is the expression that was used mm-hmm. recently that I learned that I hadn't heard previously. Grow Ireland is a really interesting organization in Ireland who are helping to um, plant a more flexible workspace uh, out in uh, the countryside. And the Irish government, for example, have developed an app to help people, uh, organisations as well as individuals, find flexible workspace uh, to work in near to them. That's a really interesting step, I think, from a government point of view. And you might see more of that starting to happen. So what I've really seen, I guess, is this hyper-establishment of what architects called WorkNet the uh, combination of office anywhere uh, and the home. I've never seen uh, a, um, an employee population more empowered to tell organizations what they expect from their environment. Uh, everything from, you know, um, safety practices, number of people in the workspace, um, ventilation and air conditioning and what have you. So that's a change that I think is really interesting. But then the point that we just discussed Uh, is also um, really important around available capital. Everyone is very mindful that whatever investment they make right now needs to be future-proofed. And to be future-proofed, it needs to be dexterous, it needs to be agile, it needs to be flexible, it needs to be hygienic, it needs... um, CBRE brought out a future furniture report in August last year, Mm -hmm. and uh, the cornerstones of that were uh, hackable, um, technology-integrated, agile, um, focused on hygiene, safety, uh, mental health, all the things. Uh, it was as though I'd written it for myself. I was so pleased, <laughs> pleased to read it. Um, so that's those are the changes that I'm seeing. Um, and then in terms of what are the ingredients of a neuro inclusive space? And I often get asked this and the, so there's a really short and a, and a little bit of a longer answer. The really short one is one of the things that's most missing. And it's the reason I started doing what I'm doing from uh, open workplace uh, environments is quiet space. That's the one thing that most places can do to make an improvement in terms of neuroinclusivity. But to give you a bigger, perhaps more interesting answer is to think about things like the difference between hypersensitive people and hypo-sensitive people. Hypersensitive people find um, open office environments overwhelming and therefore seek sanctuary spaces, whereas hypo-sensitive people, and I follow this category myself, um, thrive on the energy in those spaces and often sometimes need to get rid of their energy in order to focus. Mm. And so how one person would relax um, versus another at the end of the day would be different 
depending on which types of brains they had. So, you know, think about group workspaces, open group work areas, super minimal hyper-focus rooms, a quiet lounge seat, a library corral, a tranquility room, a movement zone. You know, these are all, um, if you are interested in, in doing some further research in this, I can absolutely highly recommend having a look at what HOK architects are doing and the research that they provide on the subjects. Absolutely brilliant insight that I've learned a lot from myself. Wow, that's, uh, that's that was a lot. lot. <laughs> that was a great. That was great insight, though. No, it's, it's fantastic, and I, I appreciate you sharing all of that. And um, so, David, as you're talking, I just had one more granular question I have to ask. I should probably have two more granular questions, but here's here's one for you. And one of our new sites coming up. It's fourteen thousand square foot. Is there a certain ratio of the number of nooks that we should have in there compared to open plan uh, in meeting rooms, or um, what? What's your thoughts on that? Great question. Let me give the consultant's answer to start with. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> and then let me try to answer it a little bit, I suppose. Um, so it is very much around um, the function of the space. But I think on average, what I see is if you apply um, a space, an open space with the number of desks and people working at their desks, whether it's flex or fixed location, um, I've seen interesting profiles of, you know, nook for per people rather than per space, if I will, because of course this all comes back to people and the kind of, you know, how, uh, how many people you have in the space, not just how many square meters it has. And so you might look at for every sort of um, 20 to 30 people working in the space, it makes sense to have at least a single nook and one or two of the one person so they can hop in and do video and phone calling without disturbing others. Um, if I look at the profile of some of our very large customers, um, one oil and gas company with sort of 3,000 people on site in one location and 45 nooks in one building, a mix between the huddle pod for meetings and the solo pod for individual work. So it is indeed a case-by-case -case basis, but there's a few figures that might help. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's, that is helpful. Okay, David, it's, um, it's been great to hear all this insight. Really appreciate you sharing. And, and I'm, I'm excited to be testing out your nooks and, um, and for, for myself. So, oh, that is my other question, actually. <laughs> Just popped in my head. Sorry, David, I'm going to ask you this one too. Um, before we get to our quick fire round. So we talked about, you and I were talking about before London went into its latest lockdown of, of doing this podcast in person, obviously with precautions, um, but um, we were going to do it in a nook. So can these nooks be enclosed where they can be a podcast nook or um, are they all open? So they're not, um, the multi-person pod is not enclosable uh, on its own. But what we advise if you're doing something like that is to possibly either bring two together opposite each other with a small gap in between or turn them to the wall. So you haven't completely cut yourself off from the environment but you can still record podcasts. Because we've even seen podcasts recorded at events inside the nooks. So that will give you an effective... Acoustic, yeah. Acoustically suitable for a podcast then. You got it. Exactly that, right? Um, so yes, the answer, the short answer is yes. The, the, yes, they're, they're appropriate for podcasts, but no, they don't have to be enclosed to be so. Fascinating. Okay, well, here's my quick choir questions. You ready for these? I am indeed. Let's go. All right. Well, first question is, who inspires you in commercial real estate? Crikey. Um, well, people who are pushing inclusivity and agility forward. So um, I would cite um, diversity and inclusivity architect Toby Milden. I would mention uh, Theo Smith. I would recommend his book on ND at work. And I mentioned HOK. 
So I couldn't um, I couldn't finish this bit without mentioning Kay Sargent and her team at HOK and the work that they're doing to push us forward. Excellent. Excellent. Great answers. Um, all right. My next question is, what podcast or media do you consume to stay up to date on the latest industry trends? I am hyper consuming so many different things, including your own podcast, of course, and many others. But one of the um, other things that I'm enjoying very much at the moment, by the way, I don't read anymore because I spend so much time looking at screens. I now consume everything via audio. So I listen to audiobooks. The Good Ancestor by Roman, I never can say this guy's surname properly, because Narich, I think it is, is really brilliant about getting out of our short-term thinking mindset. Um, the next hundred years, George Friedman is really interesting for Oh, you I know, did like that one. That was, that was, a, that was a good book, yeah. That was very, I'm, I'm midway through it at the moment. I love to be able to think micro and macro at the same time. And I would highly recommend, if you want to understand, thinking about the world in terms of understanding introverts and their, um, and their power, uh, read Susan Cain, Quiet. Excellent. Okay, excellent. And my last question, and, and I'm just going to play on your accent for a moment, because at the <laughs> beginning I said you're joining us from Amsterdam, which is where you live, where you're based now, um, but you don't have a Dutch accent. So um, my, my next question is going to be twofold. <laughs> Number one, where's your accent from? But uh, the, the real question is, where's your favorite holiday destination? <laughs> Great questions. So I'm um, born and bred uh, in Dublin, uh, left Ireland in 1993, and somehow, I don't know how, but I still, here we are, 20 plus years later, I sound like I just stepped off the boat. <laughs> and my favorite holiday, and now this is such a hard one to answer, especially for someone who craves variety. Like my favorite holiday destination is the next one that yep. I've never been to. Same here, same here. But in order to, you know, force, me, force myself into a corner, the answer would have to be hopping into my camper van with my partner and heading to the Alps to meet a group of friends and hang out in a chalet and just talk about life and work and do some skiing or mountain biking or something along those lines. I can't wait to be able to do it again. Assuming not in the wintertime. Oh, both. <laughs> okay. okay, fair enough. Skiing in the winter, mountain biking in the summer. <laughs> well, again, David, thank you for coming on to the show today. Really appreciate you sharing your insights. Obviously, there's probably lots of questions that people have, and there's a lot more granular details to get into um, so go to nookpod.com um, and, and, and learn about Nook and the Do Company. Uh, connect, connect with David on LinkedIn, of course. And is there is there anywhere else or that we should point people to, David? Yeah, absolutely. Nookpod.com is the best place, but I love to connect on LinkedIn and I really do welcome those questions. Um, I love to engage, love to collaborate. So please reach out. I'm dying to hear from people. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, trialing a Nook and, um, and staying in touch, David. Thank you. Look forward to it. Thank Thanks you. very much, indeed, Caleb. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone, for joining today. Until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at podcastsyndicator.com or Brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. 
Thank you for listening, and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts. 